Hey guys, this is Nirmal Bhansali and you're listening to another episode of the Curiosec podcast. In this episode, I interview Timothy Franklin, who's really pursuing a lot of different things currently. So he's a partner at a law firm. He's also the founder and chairman of National School of Journalism. Not to mention he is the vocalist of a band called Level Road in Bangalore. And this really made for an interesting conversation about the kind of motivations that he had to pursue a lot of these things and how death played a role in the kind of decisions that he took later on in his life. Well, that's it for the introduction. Let's just get started with the show. Hey Timothy, welcome to the Curiosec podcast. I'm really glad that you're here. Actually, like I am glad that I'm in your studio of National School of Journalism. I want to get to that over the course of the interview. But yeah, uh, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, reaching out and uh, uh let's talk. Yeah, so what I first want to know uh about how you were growing up, like what kind of interests you developed as you were a young kid and then into your teenagers because you seem to have a set of varied interests. So I want to know what aspects of your past life continue to impact you even now. Okay, so um I was born into a a uh, low middle class family um my parents were uh, the only thing they had was a very good education mm. so we moved to bangalore when i was 5 years old and uh, my father started off as junior most executive at the times of india at that time okay. uh, this is 1985 and my mother was a teacher in a, a local army school so that was my upbringing but we were always the richest family if i don't know if i if that makes sense because we uh, grew up on dreams we grew up on dreams we grew up um on uh feeling extremely grateful for everything that we had and knowing that there's a great future out there so my dad in particular was a very inspirational figure to both me and my brother and even as a first standard second standard kid he used to talk about the london school of economics and we used to have dinner conversations about you know politics and um my dad was very active in the whole jp movement during the emergency he was in jail and all of that so okay. those kind of conversations were uh very for me it was very legendary to listen to those conversations to just understand you know the kind of environment that my uh dad grew up in and so when i had the opportunity to uh go to um Bishop Cotton Boys School the 6th standard um uh, that school actually did an amazing thing for me which is it gave me the platform to completely express myself okay so by nature i was very analytical i used to be thoughtful by nature um i was a loner i i i really didn't get much out of you know hanging out with random people mm-hmm. and wasting time i'd rather waste time by myself in my own thoughts yeah and so naturally i started doing things like uh, like debating and and elocution and writing i also uh, was very inclined towards the arts particularly music so i used to sing a lot in 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 school and uh, eventually i had uh, uh, i was the vocalist in, in my school band so there were all these things i was also the captain of my cricket team uh, katonian shield which is a big deal in, yeah, yeah, in in Bangalore there were all of these things and i hardly spent time studying i mean that's the 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 truth i just uh, i didn't think that learning calculus or um you know learning displacement theory or whatever i i didn't see what value that would have in my life at all so in the 11th standard i uh, applied to do this model united nations thing right now i think it's a craze in india yeah. but at that time it was unheard of okay. and this was run by the un itself in one of the um, un world cities at vienna oh so i applied and um i was selected and i went there and that experience changed my life and i have to be very thankful to my school which allowed me to miss my final exams 11th standard to to uh, go there and just being surrounded with people from around the world and i was the only kid from school everybody else was in university that was a life changing experience for me because i suddenly realized that there's so much more to to life than 
what we had experienced uh, in India growing up. Even though I was chasing dreams, we were talking about all of these things. It was just so unreal to to be able to talk about culture. For the first time, I felt like an Indian. Okay. When you're not outside India, you are either, you know, your linguistic identity or your religious, whatever, right? But it's only when you leave India that you suddenly people are curious about... And that was the time before the, the you know, this is 1996, uh, 97, it was before uh, the internet, the internet before and all of that. So genuine curiosity, they'd never seen, for, for a lot of these people, they'd never seen an Indian person before. Um, and I was in the Security Council and won the Best Delegate Award. And that whole experience just gave me so much confidence. I was competing with people from Harvard, from all over the world. And for me to go, and I was a school kid, for me to go toe-to-toe with them and come out as uh, the best delegate, felt, wow, I think I can do something, do something which I never uh, knew uh, existed. So I said, okay, fine. So let me go back to a standard. What do I want to do uh, as, um, you know, in terms of pursuing my, my future education that would allow me to be in that environment where you are discussing ideas over a meal, where you are discussing policy over a meal. You're, you're trying to look at every situation from multiple points of view. All of them are equally valid. Mm-hmm. Not all of them you would agree with, but they're all valid. And provided that you have a rational sparring partner. If you have an irrational person, then, then <laughs> you don't want to waste time with those kind of people. But if somebody is rational, you can truly appreciate different points of view and recognize them as being valid. Um, so that for me was uh, was a life changing experience, and so the, you could do engineering or medicine, and by which time I was anyway doing terribly at the science subjects. Although I, I got very good marks in my ten standards, so I was in in science. But I, after I went to the model unit and came back, I was like, this is not for me. Absolutely not for me. Um, and I don't come from a family of lawyers. No lawyers at all. I'm absolutely first mm. okay. first generation. So I I knew that I was good at persuading people. You okay. you leave people with me for a while and I'll try to persuade them. Um, I, w- I won't give up till I persuade them. And so, and I... Well, I think I used to read a lot of John Grisham and all of those uh, books. Then you had uh, those TV series Mm -hmm. used to come on, uh, English TV series that would come on, which would uh, romanticize the practice of the law. Uh, So at that time, my whole idea of the law was very different. And so I said, fine, I think I'm going to train to be a lawyer. And you believe that, you know, you'll go and you'll have your day in court and you'll be able to, you know, fight for... uh, for people, I, I enjoyed fighting for other people. I I didn't like so much defending myself, but I liked uh, fighting for other people. And I thought, okay, that's the career which would um, that's that uh, pursuing studies to be a lawyer would be the right step in that direction. So it wasn't anything really to. I didn't want to go out and set the world on fire as a lawyer, but I thought that would be the basis for me to pursue whatever else I wanted. I wanted to be a diplomat or any position where I could represent the interests of somebody else for a greater good. I think that's what the definition of a lawyer is, right? You're an advocate. You represent somebody else's interests. So I did my undergrad in in, uh, Bangalore University, University Law College, for five years, and then I was terribly disillusioned by the second year. I was like, this is not what I thought law school would be. Why? It, the whole, I think the, the, the whole program is geared towards um, training you to be one kind of lawyer in one kind of environment, which is a local court system in India. And even that, not very effectively. That's, I, I think um, that didn't, in, I, I wasn't really uh, stimulated by that. I, and it was this integrated program. I, I really, even now I feel at some point I do want to start a law college, a law school, but I want it to be a, a graduate school. I oh, think people need yeah. to come in with some level of maturity 
three years and then you okay. come in um it, it's 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 hardly a, a profession that can be learned i think i think it's something that you need to bring some perspectives in and then you need, you can't tell me as a 21 year old 22 year old how effective are you going to be as a lawyer on day one right mm-hmm. whereas if you look at the american system four years of undergrad and then people work for three or four years and then they go to law school by the time they come out they're on average about 29 30 you are a lawyer the day you walk out genuine lawyer not i have a law degree yeah okay and i think there's a big difference between the two um so in my mind i was geared towards that but then i was doing a course which was i don't think it was that at all it they said this is whole i think it was a competition to make law one of the professional courses, courses. um So I think the whole system was better for the record. Anyway, so I went through that. The only opportunities for me to really exhibit the potential I had and uh, also to invest my time in in terms of research on analyzing drafting was doing moot courts. Correct. And so I invested all my energy um doing moot courts during uh, my college days. So we did a bunch of uh, moot courts representing the country. We did uh, the Vienna moot, the Willem Sievers moot. Mm-hmm. Then we represented India at the Stetson moot in Florida. Um, I also did a couple of uh, more model events. So I, I invested all of my energy uh, in that, and then writing papers and all of that. But class for me, the academic training was a washout, complete washout. I just didn't. Uh, so I study for the exams, go write it, and come back. But I'd also been having fantasies about being in that university environment. Okay, where uh, that was from my early days, because that was the way my dinner conversations were so interesting. I was like, I can't wait to be in an environment where I'm surrounded by a group of you know my peers, and we can have these conversations about issues that really matter. uh to the world. Hmm. And I I think I really missed that. I felt very jealous of people who had that um opportunity because my friends would come back studying in the US and the UK and they'd come back and talk about the experiences they had and I used to feel very very jealous that I'm, I I don't have that opportunity. At that point we couldn't have afforded for me to go anywhere. So um it's probably I don't know if I've uh I've crossed the limit of your question but that that's why I got into the LSE because I I was working to get into LSE and unfortunately uh the Indian system the way it's geared at least at that point in time was that if you weren't from national law school you were at a significant disadvantage I think that's changed hmm. um but at that time there was that um, that there was that issue and so you were competing with them for everything and then you um even for for jobs for university um uh, applications i mean to give you an example i was the captain of my state cricket team under 16 i was a proficient musician um i was an athlete and debate dramatics all of that plus my my law school plus i was winning moot courts all over the country and the world and i didn't even i wasn't even shortlisted for the roads and for me and i i saw the guys who were shortlisted overweight guys who wouldn't meet any of the qualifications okay uh that cecil roads had in his will to to actually excel in you know uh, sports act no no it's not multiple it's sports it's i think the last true hmm. um roads scholar you had was probably nandan kamath you needed to have somebody who excelled in sports plus other things now they made it like a good all-rounder kind of a thing yeah. and again i think it's you know this whole click of two or three institutions which um so you have all of these issues and so for me i was like i don't care how but i need to get into the uh, to lse so i think i wrote my uh, statement of purpose which is a very important part of your uh, application over four years wow to re- i i i said i i applied only to one college policy i said i'm either going there or i'm not going anywhere else and uh, thankfully they uh, and i was one of two indians at that time who was admitted to 
to to my LLM at, at LSE. So it was straight after college. So the reason I did it was it a conscious decision? Yes, it was conscious uh, <laughs> for for many years before that. But fundamentally, it wasn't to make me a better lawyer. I think it was for me to be in that intellectual environment. Did um, it match up absolutely. when you went there? Best like year of your my dreams life. as a kid yeah, in yeah. there. Surpassed them. Surpassed them. Again, there you go there. Then you have all these uh, Indian communities. They want to drag you in. And I was like, listen, I've left behind 1.3 billion people in India. You can think what you want of me. I'm not having anything to do with you. So I think that's something when people go abroad, whether to work or to study, I would, uh, especially youngsters listening to this, I would urge them to get away from your comfort zone. Don't hang out with another Indian. I, I may have seen, seemed like to be a rude guy, Listen, I'm there for a year. I really don't want to have anything to do with you. I want to meet as many people from as many parts of the world as possible so that I can learn from their experiences and they can learn from mine. Um, so that was a... It, so it was, I think, what makes an institution is a student body. The student body was amazing. I had some stalwart professors, Trevor um, Hartley, Trevor Hartley, Professor Trevor Hartley, who was the main editor of your Conflicts of Laws. Oh, okay. uh, he was my, my mentor and my professor. I was in a class of six people with him. So, you know, you have those uh, kind of environments. And then you had uh, the Iraq War. This is 2003, 2004. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the invasion of Iraq. And then, so, Ellis being an, a left-wing play, we, we were all out protesting against the war and against George Bush and all of it. You know, it was that period of time which uh, um, wonderful year wonderful year um, that was a great great uh, experience there again um, I enjoyed classes I I think I attended more classes in the first 10 days at LSE than my 5 years at uh, my <laughs> undergrad and that was an amazing thing to there's no attendance there's nothing and you just want to be in class uh, it's and uh, people assume that, that you have information and mm. that so you, when you go to class you're actually taking the conversation forward oh so okay. you have you know hundreds of pages of reading material that you need to go through before you come to class so you people assume they're not going to come here and teach you what is ABC there? is they assume you have the mind and the intellect to grasp all of that so then you come here and you have a discussion on moving forward so it's a very very different uh, yeah, definitely uh, I mean it's yeah. it's not as simple it's not as simple and uh, I mean open book exams I think 30% of the class failed that and they gave us the question paper on the first day so the they gave us a question paper on the first day. And the, the exam was going to be held nine months later. I said, this is your question paper. The exam is going to be open book. So you should feel free over the course of the nine months to write out your answer and just come and reproduce it. You can even just come and submit it. Um, if, this is in the words of the professor, he said, if I don't learn anything from your answers, you fail. Oh, Okay. <laughs> so it it really pushes your uh, boundaries. Yeah, boundaries. Anyway, so there again, um, I met this guy called Renato Gomes, a Brazilian guy, brilliant guy, who, um, and so some of these things, I think there's a lot of luck involved in many things that you do, that the people you meet, the opportunities you have, any one thing goes wrong and then you don't know what, yeah. uh, what way you go. So he was sitting next to me during the orientation, right on the first day at LSE, and I spilled a cup of coffee on him. <laughs> so we ended up, you know, I fo forced to talk to each other, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a great fan of speaking to strangers. So, And then right. we realized we had the same interest. We wanted to do something with uh, intergovernmental organizations, particularly at that time the WTO was a big hmm. institution. I think now it's losing some of its, its relevance. But at that time it was huge. And said, so let's do something WTO. And then the European Law Students uh, Association, they organize this uh, postgraduate MOOC code competition okay. uh, on WTO in conjunction with the WTO itself. So that was a, a global competition. So you had it from all over the world, and then you had people representing your college and then representing the, uh, the country, national yeah. rounds, yeah. and then one only one team representing each country. 
So this Brazilian guy, Indian guy, we competed and we got selected to represent LSE. Oh. Then we had the national rounds and we competed with Oxford, Cambridge and all of that and uh, we won that. So we went to Geneva as the team representing um, England and we won the world finals. So this was in, I think, February, February or March of 2004. Okay. That experience launched us into a different uh, orbit because uh, it was sponsored by Freshfields and Clifford Chance and, you know, all the big guys were there. We had the actual appellate uh, body of the mm-hmm. WTO, the sitting judges there. It, it was an amazing experience. And Renato and I had job offers from all the law firms. Oh, okay. No no application, nothing. We, were, we had job offers. And then this goes back to this conversation I had about how the American system is better. But the British system, the way it works, is you need to go through a training contract. I don't know if you're... Yeah, I've heard it's of like it. Like a two-year yeah, like yeah, training one and contract. Half, yeah, two years. And Renato and I were like, we, we've done... F- even he came from South America, right, from Brazil. We've done five years of undergrad. We've done one more year of postgrad, six years of training. Why should we go and be a trainee with some, you know... BA English literature graduate and okay. then learn how it's done for, for two years. It didn't make any sense. So we turned on all the offers and said, make us direct associates and we're not taking it. Um, <laughs> you're young and foolish and uh, uh, you're also, you know, arrogant and uh, and uh, you tend to have too high an opinion of yourself in that time. Wrongly, definitely. But mistakenly, yeah. So both of us turned on all the offers, and we both ended up being unemployed. Oh, <laughs> so we not even one like no, no one. No, because everybody said, "Join us." <laughs> this is the system. You'd, we don't hire foreign students that easily. We're both non-Europeans at that time, you know. You uh, and these were the all the Magic Circle firms that made us offers. They said no interview process, no application, nothing. We just we don't do this kind of stuff for people, and we said no, thank you, thanks, but no thanks. Um, so that's the, so that was that and uh, but we were very clear that we, we were on that trajectory right we were on that trajectory and we didn't want to come back and get into a box of okay here you go and here's your little thing you'll do and work for 8 hours a day so um we and i think fortune again favors the brave i think if you're if you're patient enough that works and so um i was um given an opportunity to, to work at this firm called Partak & Associates. Okay. Which I don't know how familiar you are with P&A, but in, in that period of time, in the early 2000s, P&A was, um, pract- I mean, it was organized legally as an Indian law firm, but it was working as an, it was effectively working as the Indian arm um, of, um, of uh, an American law firm called Jones Day. Okay. And so they were paying paying equalized American salaries and in in Delhi, and you know just I think seven lawyers or eight lawyers, one opening every couple of years. It was the 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 place to go because you had an opportunity to work with the international uh, lawyers. You're doing international deals, and can you imagine you know your first job you have. Oak paneled office with their own secretary, and you know that the whole, um, you know, American lawyer, yeah, yeah uh, okay. kind of thing that you watched on TV, yeah, exactly, exactly that. And so, I was very fortunate, I didn't come from national law school or from any of that, but uh, it's fortunate that um, that worked out. So, I was picked in the year 2000, and I think four or five to be the one associate that they hired once or two years, okay. And uh, so that was how I got into the whole um, law firm game. Now, is that what I wanted to do? No. How long did you pursue it for then after that? Like, when did you realize you wanted to do this or when did you realize that you wanted to shift out? See, I, we, both Renato and I, we wanted to uh, work at a much bigger scale and then multi-national uh, organization or intergovernmental organization. But then we didn't realize that uh, the world doesn't work that way. So you can't decide to become a WTO lawyer because law firms don't make money doing that. Yeah. Okay, so, we, 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 I mean, as a student, you don't think about 
you know the economics of law firms how they work and all of that right so it's like oh i'm going to do this i'm going to you know fight for world peace and and i also came from uh, at that time my, my dad had uh, by which time he had risen to the top of his organization he was handling the whole of uh, the south india for the times of india my mother was the principal of uh, uh, bishop cotton girls school and but still they were professionals we had no family money or anything mm. so they took uh, you know they sold our family house to clear off our home lo- our, our educational loans to educate me and my brother and all of that okay so there was pressure for me to repay that right yeah, yeah. i mean as which a lot of people in the west don't know it's like yeah just study and then go for gap years and travel around the travel, world yeah, yeah but i didn't have that uh, thing and at some point you realize that you need to start um paying back paying back and i mean it's it's not about being transactional but it's the reality of you know they've sacrificed a lot i don't know if i would sell my house for to educate my kids i don't know but my parents were generous enough and believed in us enough to do that um and and so you i think particularly in india then i don't know how it is right now you end up making your decisions based on at that time okay it's an amazing honor you've you've, you've got this and um, also in your cv it's great right because you the very fact that you've you've uh, been hired to work there says that you are good enough good enough or special in that year i mean it's practically the the best outgoing student in the whole of the country gets that one shot because i mean if you look at salaries i think they were paying 500% more than what amarjan was paying Whoa. okay at that time okay so uh, we as a, my first salary was more than what partners were making at amarjan at the, uh, as, as the first job first, as your first, first job first job right so th- all of that is mind blowing because you come you come from a uh, you know not from money and and all of that is also wow now is that what i wanted to do no but is it along the path of what i wanted to do yes because all these decisions are still leading to that right the very fact that i mean it's in an in international environment you still have access to high quality people you're still working as a lawyer you're moving in in that uh, direction so that was 2005 and uh, that's where i entered the law and that's i i was a corporate finance lawyer i ended up working with a couple of american colleagues of mine and so i worked for a couple of years and then i moved to this firm called allen and overy hmm. in singapore okay so you moved out of the country yeah and was it easy years. for you to make the shift like uh living in delhi i am a bangalorean living in delhi was more foreign to me than living in london or singapore or hong kong <laughs> definitely okay i it, it was a foreign place um so, yeah so m- making the transition abroad wasn't uh, really a problem no and i think by which time the world had become more globalized i don't think and from being from bangalore singapore was actually closer than delhi because definitely with all the fog and all of that your flights <laughs> are always uh, uh delayed so i was in allanovery for a year when the partner i used to work with at jones day hmm. pna he took over as the uh, head of asia pacific for uh, capital markets for this new firm at the time called DLA Piper. Okay. Which is a brand new firm to just come together. I'd never heard of it. And I was in this amazingly cushy job, you know, magic circle firm, structured, you know, you 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 can be there till you retire kind of a thing. And then this partner calls me up and says, "I want you to join 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 me." It was like I'm actually working at Allen Overy. DLA is like in the UK rankings way down below somewhere. Because you have no idea, we are the world's largest law firm. We have amazing plans, and I said, "No, doesn't work." <laughs> so he didn't quit. He he obviously had worked with him for two years at Jones Day and everything else. So he said, uh, "I want you to come over and help build the whole India practice for capital markets for DLA Piper." Oh, as now I was fairly junior, second year associate, second third year associate. um and so th- those are i think some sometimes we need to take those decisions 
um, take a chance. I think you need to take a chance. So I knew what I was getting read. I, you know, it's going to be the same. It's so structured, right? You do this one little thing and you'll do it so well for the rest of your life. Yeah. Or here's this opportunity to be entrepreneurial, go out, you know, win work, build a team. And basically, you know, I had access to my own, you know, travel budget and I could do what I wanted. I was involved in every major decision um, and basically behaved like a partner, right? As a, so I took that. So I took that in 2000 and... You, you were willing to get out of your stable life, like yeah. the stable... Yeah. But I've always been that, that way, you know? So, uh, yeah. So f- it, it was a tough decision. But in some ways, when you think about it, like in every decision that everybody, people need to make, the stable decisions are actually the most risky ones choosing the stable thing because nobody planned that Lehman would go down okay Lehman went down in 2007 yeah <laughs> now what was a steady job at A&O wasn't so steady anymore for anybody there yeah <laughs> because that whole that whole firm was geared like any big law firm that whole firm was geared towards uh, corporate finance and banking that whole thing shut down yeah Right. Whereas uh, DLA was much more resilient because it was a full services it was just firm. Building up and no, it was a full services firm. They did oh, everything. Oh, okay. They did everything. Ano had probably five clients: J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Lehman. The big ones. Yeah, yeah and if they 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 aren't giving out work, what do you do? Whereas DLA would have you know five hundred clients, small clients, and also we were building up the practice, so we had two years of no expectation to bring in revenues or anything. Mm. So, after the move happened and then, you know, Lehman collapsed and the world was in disarray, I don't think we fully recovered from it yet. You suddenly realize, and there's a life lesson for people listening to this, you should, when you make decisions, <laughs> think about it and think about the upside that you have. What is the, you know, what is the maximum upside, upside you have in taking one decision versus the other? Don't look at the downside. Okay. Okay, um, if you look at just upside, DLA paper was unlimited upside. Correct. With, with, whereas with I'm going to be you know, in like for like brick in the wall, at uh, at you know new firm opportunity to have dinner with the chairman of the firm with you know is from time to time. I mean because we were building up a practice, so people, you know, to to meet with various. Uh, um, I think completely different uh, scale of, of development yeah. and also uh, you start thinking as an entrepreneur you start thinking as a practice head you start thinking uh, you, you look at revenues budgets you know all of these things which you would never do as uh, as a junior lawyer but so all of these things uh, helped so I moved to uh, DLA and then built up uh, DLA DLA's capital markets practice as the number one law firm in India over a period of time, working with a, a great team of people. But in all of this, have you realized I wasn't doing anything sports-wise? I wasn't doing anything music-wise? Yeah, I wanted to just ask about, like, were you able to even pursue a lot of these things that nothing. you were doing in school? Nothing. Nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. I was a total waste in the sense I, w- I had lost my vitality. I had become one of the cogs in the way of maybe I'm doing something special for me I'm sure everybody thinks that they're doing something very special and the world thinks they're doing something fancy having fancy vacations fancy homes and, and all of that but you know deep down inside I mean I realized that year four of my law firm career because I couldn't see much of a you know in car racing or racing or driving you have something called closing speed okay right like in your Say you have uh, a car ahead and then you're catching up and then it's closing speed. So, like, if you have a very slow car in front and you're really ripping it, you know, the car's going to get closer and closer and closer. Mm -hmm. And so then you keep ripping, you know, overtaking people. So your closing speed is really, really fast. Um, But I realized that, you know, by year two, I was going toe-to-toe with the, the... with the you know Asia Pack head of the firm, okay, I was like, okay, so what more is there to do now? 
I was as good as as him in terms of work and everything else. Is what so is this am I going to look forward to this for the next okay for 35, the 40 years? I mean what what are you going to do? You've reached it. In 4 years you've mm-hmm. reached in terms of what you will do for your day job or with your time in that you reach is not there's no more learning. I mean you, you continue learning what comes but but you're there. And that is very sobering because then you see you're frustrated um because i'm doing my job well but then you realize you know, what else can what i do, do after now? this yeah and uh, so that process lasted for 3 4 years but then you can't do anything either what can you do about it you become like a typical person complaining about your job which is also not a good thing to do because you should be grateful that you're in that position uh You know, all your peers are from some of the best universities in the world. You have great life. You're providing for your family and all of that. But, um, but I wasn't doing good sp- sports. No music. No, no nothing. And uh, 2012, uh, I'm very grateful for this. I was diagnosed with colon cancer. Oh, okay. So that experience was, I think, the. Why are you grateful? I, I'm so grateful. I would have been in that. uh lousy life i was uh, leading i would still be leading that life right now uh, so i think when you're confronted with death at 32 i had two kids the uh, second one was just a few months old you again start making the choices you would make when you have nothing to lose which oh, is okay. like the choices i'd made when you're young yeah much younger what do i really want to do why did i study law Right. I mean, we we do all of those things, and at some point, you stop, you you stop living, and you start existing. So, um, I uh, decided, okay, that's it. I'm, uh, I want to. And so I I told my my uh, the partner I was with at that time. I think I was a seventh year associate at DLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, just about on partnership track and all of that and um, i said not i don't think i can do this much longer so what i told him is listen i'm going to be here i need to to take care of my family but i'm going to be figuring out what i'm what to do with my with my life and so thankfully my illness was brief it was uh, intense but brief but i recovered fully by god's grace okay, and that's so nice. then I, that's nice then i said okay why should we all in school we do this is a question you had in school you did all of these things why do we end up doing this one thing why can't you do everything um so what that meant was and as a lawyer it's something that uh, none of us pays attention to is we don't have control over our time I you know I I think that generally lawyers do I mean if if at least at the level that you are you generally can control the kind of clients you want to meet or kind mm-hmm. of times where you want to spend on your case file or whatever it is um not in a international corporate law firm okay it's firstly it's not like practicing you don't have court vacations and, and yeah yeah <laughs> that's true. all of that right and you you're dealing with you know transactions we we are just uh, representing the uh, government of indonesia doing a um 6 billion dollar raise <laughs> to bridge their budget deficit right and you can't say I'm not working saturdays you have your client is the finance minister yeah of a country or you have cfos of huge corporations that you're dealing with um i don't i think that's uh, I think the partners work really hard. I I I think it's a myth probably different in India. And that's because of the whole feudal system that we <laughs> that you you work. But in the firms I worked in the partners worked as hard or harder than the associates. Okay. And so I think that's a myth. Um so y- you don't control your time. You want you know somebody w- uh, I was it was a season when I probably did uh I don't know in a month about 30 flights. So you just don't have when I say you don't have control over your time not enough to plan to do something else. Yeah, to do any of the other yeah. even Maybe like pursuing a small yeah, hobby yeah, for exa- example. Yeah, exactly, right? 
at least as a co- in a um, in a high intensity corporate law firm global global law firm india i think you still can get away with it you have good teams and then i also think that without you know appearing to be um you know dismissive of the way we run things here i i think standards are much lower okay in terms of the quality of the legal advice we pr- provide and um the level of uh, obviously there are exceptions but as a but when you look at an as an know, average when you look at an you know i think the quality the lawyering quality of a third year associate would far surpass a partner in most law firms in india okay that and that's because they invest that time and that they are on every deal they know every issue they are on top of everything and they are hands on they're not just managing people not letting a bunch of youngsters run it and i'm just managing client relationships okay um I, so i think that's the only way it should be if you're in it you should be in it fully sure. uh, otherwise you know i think there are other ways you want to make money you can make money you can be an investment banker or something <laughs> so, um i wanted to take control of my time i think that the primary motivation um to become an entrepreneur is to be able to like you say i can take meetings when i want hmm. i can choose to do this at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and i can plan this two weeks in advance yeah that's i couldn't plan a meal in advance with my wife right <laughs> so, so that's um different kind of freedom so how did you decide how you wanted to take control of it yeah so, so i had no idea i didn't leave oh you didn't you I hadn't didn't left so at I, that I point i just told them i'm not uh, i'm going to be moving out so i'll figure out when and how it took me out two two more years before i moved out okay um i think 2014 happened 2012 was when i had cancer and 2014 uh happened with um the elections in in india and i could sense that india was in the first um i don't know if you're a, a history buff but if you look at nazi germany hmm. in the early uh 1900s before it just the whole build up before world war 2 and uh what was happening in india very similar how very similar in terms of um this whole nationalism thing pride and being um you had these definitions of what it meant to be indian what it meant to be patriotic donald trump just look at this it says then mm-hmm. okay i get um and um information manipulation of information uh, global phenomenon not just india globally uh, and with the explosion of social media the information it i think we live we continue to live in an era of information warfare with fake news and with and on all sides of the political spectrum and i could sense that democracy was under threat okay in in um not i think the first semblance of that was what was happening in the us with the, that whole targeted campaign against um you know obama being a muslim oh, and, okay okay yeah, and, yeah. and 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 all of that. and people believed it the we did the survey there were 40 30 40% of people who were uh, on the republican side who actually believed that as somebody said you know in any population there are 10% that are um merciful and 10% that are cruel the remaining 80% can be persuaded either way yeah and that's w- p- persuasion you do that with information correct so uh, irrespective of the pol- so the, once you move extremely here so the extreme left again uses the same so it's then it's just information warfare who can you know get the most Number effective uh, communication out and package it in as credible a way so whoever wins that battle wins your minds and then they win elections correct 
and I think unfortunately uh, it started off with the US and then uh, the BJP really did a, a brilliant job at doing that and Congress caught on now so now Congress is, is doing worse than BJP they've learned I, mean, I think in 2014 they were stumped they were like oh what happened what hit us and now, now the, I think they're outplaying BJP in the same game but it's a dirty game so what this institution seeks to do is to go back to actually getting journalists to perform the role of, of being a forerunner of justice and uh, to lay the foundations of democracy. I think without access to credible information, as a democracy, we'll fail. You'll have, so whoever has control of the narrative, whoever has access to better tools to get their agenda across will win. Because people, unfortunately, the vast majority of people who really need to make decisions hmm. aren't the people like uh, you and me having these conversations. It's people who are uneducated or who are poorly educated, who have their own fears, who have their own anxieties, and who are being fed information selectively for them to react in, in a way that would get political results. You just look at Congress and BJP. Karnataka, I think 40-30%, of people who stood for elections on both sides had switched parties. Hmm. What does it show? It's a big game. You're using, info, you, there's no ideology. There's, there's no clear path. No, no, it's just people. a game. And you're using information to, to hit trigger points in people to come to power. And I don't think information should be used that way. And there's a huge role for the media to persuade. So it goes back to why journalism, I think, because I think there's tremendous power in using information to persuade. Why not join a particular institution and do this, as opposed to trying to build a separate institution, a separate school yeah. from the I beginning? many times have that, uh, especially because I'm so broke now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel, why, why did I do this? But the reason I did it is uh, so that uh, media is controlled right now in India. Okay. A hundred percent. Yeah. There are a few independent media outlets. And uh, the idea is for us as a journalism school to, to and I teach a course on journalistic ethics, hmm. where we train journalists to understand what it means to be ethical, to be independent, to be free from uh, influence, corruption, and then to also encourage them to work in independent news organizations or to start their own. There's nothing stopping anybody from starting their own news organization. Yeah. We have access. Which is not the old days, right? right? Yeah, I mean. Uh, so, th I think the reason I started off on my own and it's completely unfunded, uh, I use all of my savings to do this, um, is to keep it independent. 100% independent. Now, at some point, once this is, you know, uh, it's on its way, but once it's completely established, I will need to step back because then it won't be independent anymore because it'll have my influence. I want it to be an organization which has nobody's influence. I think at this point, I'm still, I trust myself that we will be independent. But power corrupts and absolute power yeah. corrupts absolutely. Um, so I'm very clear that once this is up and running, I will... Uh, step out of it and have it run by a collection of people who will rotate from time to time so that this isn't controlled by any one person, any one ideology, any one interest group. So that's why uh, That's why you started this whole place. How has yeah. it been for you, like, I mean, as an experience? Uh, financially, it's uh, it's been terrible. It's four years of uh, of uh, you know, living the student life. That's financially. <laughs> but I mean, you made money patients, abroad, so. <laughs> it's all gone, no? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just joking. I think uh, I'm grateful that uh, I have enough to set I'm not on the streets. And I think that's all anybody needs eventually. But what really... Uh, is powerful is knowing that there are every year there are kids going out. Even if there are two or three of them who are able to feel those principles 
of truth, of justice, of independence, integrity. Um, and they go out and make a difference. I think over a period of time, we can make a difference. That's one thing. Hmm. Secondly, you, you see all these people who... This is a PG program. I mean, this year we're, we're starting a UG, but it's a PG program. Oh, okay. bunch of people like me, but who didn't have the courage to take the decision after 12th standard to do what they wanted to do. So they were pushed into engineering. We had last year, we had our outstanding, uh, outgoing uh, student uh, uh, valedictorian was a doctor, American-born doctor. <laughs> okay. Who decided, I want, I want to be a journalist. I always wanted to be a journalist. I was pushed into being a, a doctor. Or tons of engineers who come here. So it's, again, it also serves that other... Um, function of getting people to understand that you made a mistake or you didn't have a choice in the matter but here's a, a second chance yeah a platform too it's a 9-10 month degree uh, program and then boom you're in so that's very rewarding to see how people come in and how they change and uh, you know the kind of practical training they get here is unparalleled their access to the kind of faculty facilities um, our online news platform unparalleled um, and opportunities to go do original stories and all of that. Like we broke, practically we wrote the first proper piece on Gauri Lankesh. Oh. Um, one of our students was there on site before anybody could be there. Uh, we did an amazing piece on on the River Kaveri thing. We did a great story on on Jailalitha. We did a phenomenal story on um, on on judicial rulings. Gopal Shankarnarayanan was here, uh, who was the Secretary of the Lodha Committee, mm-hmm. and based on his talk, a couple of our students, you know, they they produced an amazing um, um, medal for the uh, Deccan Herald. So that's really satisfying, as somebody is to just see that this place is producing people like that. Um, secondly, it's towards I think justice and democracy, the legal system, the executive judiciary. I, I think the. Um, journalistic fraternity needs to play an active role in that and we're contributing to that so I think that's that's very good all that is nice but what I'm really happy about is that I can now play in a band I'm uh, um, fronting one of Bangalore's best uh, rock bands Um, I'm playing cricket again I'm playing tennis again and uh, what else am I doing I did a huge theatrical production a year and a half ago uh, what else? I'm also a partner in a law firm. Yeah, you're Called back to Tatua. law again. <laughs> why? Why not focus? Yeah, this is what I want to know. Like, you chose to left, you leave yeah. DLA. You started this. Yeah, it's going really well for you. Yeah. Why not focus even more on this or do something related to this? Okay, so why get back to. I'm not get. I haven't got back to the law, um, in that sense, because I never left it. All the skills that I used as a corporate finance lawyer are used here. Yeah. Um, okay. In every respect. But um, what I'm doing at Tatva is one, um, I love teaching. So I'm, I'm mentoring a lot of young lawyers there. Okay. Um, helping them think as international lawyers. I told you, I think quality in Indian law firms by and large way below par. So what I'm trying to do with Tatwa is to for them to uh, to work with them to create a model Indian law firm, which will operate on par with having spent ten years in various yeah. uh, law firms, um, some of the best in the world. The idea is to actually work, train junior lawyers to to operate at that level. So that's something it's, it's actually sort of giving back to the profession, and also. Um, there are a lot of uh, my former colleagues in the firms I worked with hmm. who have been so frustrated because they haven't been able to to interact with lawyers of the same uh, standards that they're used to dealing with in Singapore, Hong Kong, London, New York. And for us to provide that level of service for them so that you're sort of joined together. So it's, um, yeah, not back to the practice of law the way you would uh, think of think normally. It is. Not but as think, intense as how it was. No, I, I think it's it's intense, but also huge credit to the founding partners of Tatwa to rec- to recognize uh, a place for somebody like me Okay. to come in and 
uh, do something because people are just so transactional they're like how many so much business can you bring in how many clients how many hours are you billing whereas here they've brought me to say listen we want to benefit from your experience from your relationships and from your ability to mentor to make our firm a better place and i think a lot of credit needs to um oh, so you have your own space even within that yeah so i completely function you know sort of autonomously i work with the founding partners we work on strategy we work on mentorship programs for the kids uh we work on you know developing high quality standard form documents that are thoughtful so uh yeah i th- i think it's a very enriching experience it's not back to being a transactional uh lawyer and what now what are you looking forward to now you said that you uh, once the national school of journalism grows up yeah. you want to move back yeah Do you have anything s- else in mind no i Any? i want to step back in the sense uh, uh there's no point preaching independence and then you yourself are controlling something right yeah. so that's uh i will i will be involved but right now i'm involved i'm exclusively running this place correct in terms of vision and strategy and everything else but i think once this is on its own and it can have its its structure it needs to have more accountable who knows how many years i have left right uh, so it needs to work as an institution it cannot be one one person one person body. yeah it can't be a mom and pop kind of a, a thing and so uh, that's a process it'll take time but eventually uh, i will be involved but i need to be accountable to people as well right now i'm not accountable yeah. to anybody and which works great which is why you know china i think you know i think <laughs> i don't know how effective democracy is in you know less developed countries they're not yet mature to handle information and make decisions right clearly um so that's one thing but what more would i want to do um i'd love to spend more time um dealing with younger children um particularly uh, high school kids and um maybe the early year, i think high school kids primarily to really work with them and um get them to understand their civic duties so that we can again be a more vibrant democracy it's the biggest injustice that and the fraud played by teachers and parents alike in india by not allowing their children to aspire to public office Yeah I I think many okay maybe public not office being politics okay yeah that's true to aspire how many kids you go and say i want to be an mla oh i don't want to be corrupt i okay what separates the us australia uk from us is because your brightest and the best aspire to political office hmm. here yeah no one does that yeah so even what, i don't want to right so, now so so right? what happens then so who's who's the ceo of your of your co- corporation who's the ceo of your uh, city who's the ceo of your state uneducated thugs bandaj and that needs to change otherwise india will never reach its potential so you need uh, uh, you know one, part of what i want to do is use my time to go school by school and get people to understand stop saying politics is bad it's bad because you're not involved mm. uh, we also use music to do that our band does that a lot to you know spread these messages okay um, so I'd, i'd like to spend more time doing that I, i want to make that my mission for people to uh, to really i think you can have the judiciary improve you can have the executive improve legislature improve the media thing improve but if you don't have um bright people with integrity entering politics from a young age and have that environment where young bright people can enter politics f- as a career um if we don't do uh, you know create that kind of environment we will never we'll, we'll regress you seem to have very i i, I wouldn't say very strong feeling but you seem to be very passionate about democracy and all of yeah. that right like principles that you would want yeah. your country to uphold i was wondering how you were able to continue to have that considering i mean the kind of movements that you've had across like i'm guessing this is something you ha- these were the part of dinner conversations you had yeah, as a yeah, kid yeah but 
you also got disillusioned when you're studying law How i think i was uh, this and yeah i think i was this uh, this never left me um and the 2008 election of uh, barack obama i think that for me was a a, a reminder that um to get engaged in politics again he was a young guy yeah um and you know i wanted to get into politics as well when i was young who knows maybe i will so hopefully when you say what would be the next at some point you know something like this maybe i would eventually um enter politics at some point um uh, if if things change obviously at in the current day you know i don't have the money i don't have the gunda power yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i think that gave that uh, for a lot of people my my age who were in their uh, mid 20s he suddenly felt wow this guy can he came from nowhere he had n- nothing politically and he just was you know rose the rank yeah exactly and it gave a lot of hope and so th- i think you have these markers in your life so the 2008 elections were definitely a marker the uh my uh vienna trip was a marker and um i think my cancer was a marker to again and i'm sure there'll there'll be other things that happened to my life often we drift we lose you know sight of of what you probably like but then you 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 have these uh, markers which again bring you back uh i think everybody has a purpose you, you know we all need to find our own i think mine is to ensure or to at least work towards uh promoting things to do with justice and democracy in india well i just have like i mean one last question actually yeah. considering what we've spent quite a bit of time discussing your entire journey what i wanted to know like now that you've you've done a lot of different things you you are able to control your time now yeah. decide to have a interview like this in the middle of the day yeah what i want to know was when you were 20 and if you had the chance mm. what is it that you would tell that particular 20 year old mm. of yourself in the past and why would you give that message okay um i actually do not regret anything i've done so far um so i would what i would tell a 20 year old who would be in the second year of college or third year of college just chill out and enjoy your life <laughs> seriously because i think uh, i was in the recruitment committee of dla piper these kids by the time they they are they, they come in for the interviews they've done five internships they've done so many things yeah that's what we are said to do sort of exactly yeah. so i mean i think your time will come your your time will come i, I don't think you need to you know uh, so i would uh, you know tell a 20 year old today let me flip the question and say if i had to tell a 20 year old today i'll tell them to do what i did which was i realized that i wanted to follow my dreams and i did exactly what i enjoyed spending my time on Uh, but that needs to be productive. Don't waste time playing video games and uh, <laughs> you know Snapchatting or whatever else. But I invested it in, for example, mooting, uh, which was which is uh, phenomenal because I'm I'm sure I did so well in that period that that's what was one of the factors which got me my LSE admission. Hmm. And I was just following my passion, right? Don't get too caught up into career at twenty. um first discover yourself as a person you do you know what you like fall in love uh multiple times um <laughs> you know just live just you know you you need to uh, because once you get into that rat race that doesn't stop till you retire or you pull back like how i have done right um uh, and then you burn out and we, why why go through all this enjoy and see the thing is because i had such a rich experience in school and college i had something to fall back on now hmm imagine if i had no skill set other than being a lawyer yeah what would you do you're 32 years old 33 years old you're disillusioned what will you do nothing because you you your entire childhood has been geared towards getting this job 
so you don't know about music you don't know about driving you don't know about um theater you don't know about sports you don't you don't have a hobby you don't have anything what are you going to do there's actually nothing to do yeah so i think use that young period young so if i had a regret in my college days i gave up on music i gave up on sports um i shouldn't have done that i wish I, you know i had continued um doing sports and music even in uh, college which i didn't that was the start of that whole thing of you need to focus on your uh, career I and mean, right now i'm doing multiple things and doing them um others should say this but i'm doing i think i we're doing it pretty well <laughs> right um we all did i think in school we all did multiple things well um and it's uh, yeah i would tell my 20 year old you know you shouldn't have spent that whole 5 years just even what i did was just around law no it was more courts and all academic 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 it wasn't um it wasn't sport it wasn't um doing english literature i wish i'd studied yeah the other things i wish i'd studied english literature um i i would have been richer for it <laughs> but i didn't maybe at some point can make that happen yeah well thank you so much and thank you for letting me use the studio so hey no 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 great um, conversation firstly nirmal i want to thank you i think uh, it's uh, people always like talking about themselves so you know <laughs> so <laughs> i think it was more for me than for you uh, i'm very uh, happy with uh, with what you're doing with your uh, podcast so wish you the very best and uh, um, good luck with everything that you're doing I hope all of you enjoyed the interview with Timothy Franklin. I really need to thank him once again for agreeing to do this and coming on to the show. I also need to tell you guys to share this episode and spread the word about Curiosect. I'll see you once again with another episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Curiosect podcast.